Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. And a good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to this edition of Healthy Matters. Good morning to you, Dr. Hilden. And I know we have a special guest on board and a special topic I always like to check in with you, however, to find out how your week was in your world. Well, good morning, Denny, and thank you. It's been a decent week uh, at the hospital and across our Hennepin healthcare system. We've we're we're very busy, but but uh, listeners might be interested to know that we're mostly busy on non-COVID issues. Our hospitals are are humming along, um, but uh, it's on on your typical summertime stuff. We still continue to have COVID patients, something like 20 or 30 or something like that, and which sounds like a lot, but it, in reality, it's it's not. Our state is doing quite well. Um, and I know it's not a competition, so that even sounds funny, but the state of Minnesota is doing relatively well. Our cases um, have been flat to dropping a little bit, although I do have to say they have been rising again just slightly. So we continue on with our new normal, if you will, of of caring for coronavirus while we do while we do the the usual healthcare that we've done for so long. We'll see what this fall holds, but um, but right now we're I'm cautiously optimistic that the state of Minnesota and our our colleagues and neighbors are are doing what they need to do to to keep this thing at least reasonably under control because, you know, the coronavirus is not under control in our country, but I'm reasonably optimistic that we're doing okay here in Minnesota. So that's that's kind of good news on this beautiful summer day. Yeah. Well, I tell you, before you introduce your guest and our topic, let me give our phone number and the text number. It's the identical number. So if you have any particular health questions uh, questions on our topic, uh, 651-989-9226. That'll get you in the phone call with uh, the doctors, and uh, also the text if you prefer that method, 651-989-9226. Well, what's, uh, what's going to be happening on the show today, Dr. Hilden? We're going to talk about sleep and insomnia today, and um, it's a topic that is always really popular with listeners because I think it's maybe one of the medical topics we can talk about that that has the broadest or widest range of people who who have questions and interest in. And so uh, to help us out today, I have a sleep psychologist on uh, on the line. At least I hope Mark's on the line. I have Dr. Mark Rosenbaum. He is a psychiatrist who specializes in working with patients who have sleep disorders like insomnia. He also um, has a specialty in substance use disorders, so the intersection of addiction and sleep, and that's a very interesting thing. He provides cognitive behavioral treatment for insomnia and substance use disorders. 
and he works at Hennepin Healthcare in the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorders Center. So, uh, Dr. Rosamund, thank you so much for being on with me this morning. I hope you're there from your own home. Yes, I am, and uh, <laughs> thank you for having me on. It's great to have you, Mark. And and let me just start out. I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about what your clinical practice is. But I'm going to just tell the listeners that I am going to be listening very carefully this morning because I had a rotten night's sleep last night, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) You know, our house lost power at about 11 p.m. suddenly because an elm tree or some tree fell on the power and the energy company was out with chainsaws from 11 to 2 a.m. And so I got about three, four hours of sleep. And not that I want everyone to say boo-hoo for me, but it is so interesting how your whole day ahead of you, my whole day ahead of me, I'm kind of looking at it with some dread because I'm already exhausted. So I'm going to be interested in hearing about insomnia. Mark, tell us a little bit about, first of all, about yourself. Um, How did you land at Hennepin Healthcare, and what's your practice like? Well, of course. Thank you. And and before I get into it, I'm sorry you had such a bad night of sleep, but I think it really does speak to a lot of people what it's like coming off a bad night of sleep and trying to trying to just manage day-to-day life. Um, but my background is I, I've been in an area called sleep psychology or behavioral sleep medicine uh, for about a decade, about 12, 13 years. And the focus of my practice has been on trying to behaviorally help people with their sleep. And so, as you mentioned, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is the primary modality that we that we have used to try to address it. Now at Hennepin, I also have a role working with people with substance use disorders. Uh, we we know that there are cognitive behavioral strategies for that as well that can help people help manage their their issues around them. And then I have a I probably would, I have a special interest in where these two areas overlap. So for example, we have people that that are suffering for substance use disorders that have. Uh, much, much problems with sleeping at night, which actually can impact their use of alcohol and drugs. But at the same time, we find that people who have insomnia are more at risk to use substances. So that, in a nutshell, is sort of what I do for Hennepin. That's a fascinating career. And and I I, I think that um, probably loads of people listening now are nodding their heads thinking, wow, I could see that, especially that substance use disorder angle, um, Mark, because I hadn't thought about that so much until I was um, um, preparing for this this and finding out that you had an interest in that um, issue as well. So help us out. What is, well, let's start out with the basics of insomnia. You know, how, how common is it and what causes it? So, so chronic insomnia, meaning that we're having it several nights a week and it goes on and on, we estimate between 5 and 15% of the population struggles with it. Uh, when we start talking more about situational insomnia or temporary insomnia, um, there's research that shows anywhere from a third of the population to even half will have it at times in their life. Um, so it's really common. Um, it, as far as what causes it, there's a whole host of uh, er, or types of things that can cause it. Uh, when we're talking about chronic insomnia, uh, this is one that's, uh, that tends to really be a little harder for people to kind of wrap their minds around. But in chronic insomnia, it's actually oftentimes the fears about not sleeping or the frustrations about not sleeping that keeps the insomnia going on and on. So we'll see people, when they start having this, they'll, they'll be up in the middle of the night frustrated that they can't sleep, which actually fuels the insomnia, and it creates this vicious cycle that can go on and on. 
Um, for the for the more temporary ones, things such as like what people are going through now is when you're going through a lot of stress in your life or disruptions in your routine, that can lead to temporary stretches of insomnia, which is what we're, I think, seeing a lot today. Have you seen in your practice uh, people who's, who aren't sleeping as well that, that you can attribute to stressors about, about the pandemic? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and it's not just a stressor. It's just there's a, been a significant disruption in, in people's you know, daily routines. You know, we're seeing where people are used to going out, being with friends, um, actively exercising, uh, leaving the home for work, kids are going to school. Everything is just kind of clustered together at home, and, and it really has put a burden on people in trying to kind of manage their day-to-day life and even their sleep. That that makes a lot of sense to me because it it, it seems to me that there's so much about what you do during the day and your own routines and your bedtime and what time you're getting up that leads to a good sleep pattern. And during this pandemic, everything is kind of turned upside down. You might have extra people staying in your house with you. You might have people who never leave the house. So you're all, you're in more close quarters with people and you can't get your own privacy and everyone's got their own schedules. I, I couldn't, and then everybody's nervous. Everybody's anxious about getting coronavirus. I can imagine that people are struggling with sleep during this time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even to add another dimension, and this is one I can speak personally of. Um, I, I have a home with a wife and two young kids. We went through a stretch during school that we were working full-time, both my wife and I, and homeschooling two young kids, and taking care of a house. And on top of that, just to add a dimension, my wife is expecting. I, I told her I would add that. Um, and, and it's not uncommon that people are trying to juggle so many things at home, and it, it just feels overwhelming at times. It really does. And let me just say, congratulations. Well, well thank <laughs> you. Thank on, you. On the one on the way. Um, Denny, uh, we're going to talk a lot more with Dr. Rosenbaum about sleep and insomnia, and we're going to invite listener calls about your sleep um, questions. Uh, do we have time to, do, to continue talking, or is it time for a break? It is time for a break, a quick one. But, and as we head to the break, let me give our phone number and text number again. Uh, we'll uh, invite you to join in on the conversation in a moment. 651-989-9226 for your phone call or text messages. This is Healthy Matters here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. 651-989-9226. That'll get you into the phone line and also the text line for the doctors. And here once again, if you're just joining us, uh, uh, Dr. Hilden, uh, for those just joining us, maybe a little late, uh, why don't you tell us what you are talking about today? Thank you, Danny, and good morning, everybody. Uh, we are talking about insomnia uh, with sleep behavioralist and uh, uh, Dr. Mark Rosenblum. He does, he's a psychologist who specializes in uh, sleep, and we're talking about insomnia specifically today. Mark, can you um, tell listeners what are some of the things that 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 you tell people are are the that they should think about if they're wondering if their insomnia is something that should be seen, be treated? In other words, how do I know if I'm just having a bad night or a bad week, or when when is it a big enough deal that they should see someone such as yourself? You know that that really is a great question because I, I think a lot of people struggle with, you know, I'm having a bad night or two. Is this this warrant going in for that? And, and what I'll tell people is if you're just having a bad night once uh, every few weeks to a month um, and after one night it resolves, or if you're still feeling rested and tired for the most part, um, 
you may not need it as much, and you'll be able to get away with just doing some basic sleep hygiene tips, which I would be happy to share. Um, but when this starts becoming repetitive, or when you really start finding yourself dragging in the morning or you're sluggish in the morning with some regularity, um, those are signs that you may want to get it looked at. And, and, and one other area that, that sometimes I don't think is, is emphasized enough, one of the common outcomes of sleep deprivation or insomnia is depression. So if you're also feeling down a lot, you're finding, as well as not sleeping, that, that is a time I would absolutely get in and speak to someone about. And uh, from me, who is not a sleep specialist, I would recommend that you see Dr. Rosenblum or others at the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorder Center at Hennepin Healthcare. Um, I can give that number a little bit later in the show. Um, so people, uh, you might want to grab a pen and I can give that number a little bit later. Mark, do tell us, what tips would you offer people about that term that I love and that we use a lot, sleep hygiene? What do you mean by sleep hygiene, Mark? Well, well sleep hygiene was really our first efforts to try to get a behavioral handle on insomnia, and it's been around for about 30 to 40 years. And what it really represents are the do's and don'ts of sleep. So some of the ones that I find that are more, I guess, meaningful, um, one is staying out of bed except for sleep and intimacy. You know, and, and this is when, you know, when someone's also down, it's not uncommon to spend a lot of time in bed um, just trying to, you know, take care of themselves. And unfortunately, it actually fuels insomnia. Um, another one is staying off our smartphones or computers for at least an hour or so before bedtime. Uh, the blue light, which I think a lot of people now know, can have an impact on our circadian clock. And and one here that I don't think is emphasized enough is exercise. Exercise, exercise, exercise. We, in the past, we used to discourage exercise in the evening. We're now finding that a cardiovascular exercise, uh, where you're doing for about 20 minutes of moderate intensity, within a couple hours for bedtime is very helpful for sleep and stress. So that's what I really can't emphasize enough. I do all those wrong. Uh, you know, there's a, TV, <laughs> there's a TV in the bedroom. Sometimes I'm checking the phone just before bed, looking at tomorrow's schedule or this, that, or the other thing. And I do, uh, although I'm glad to hear exercise in the evening is now considered a, an okay thing. So I guess I'm okay on that because I do that as well. That is so hard for people, particularly the screens. I, I, I can't imagine that, um, or, I, or I can imagine that many people are on their screens or watching TV right up to the time they go to bed. I bet you see that all the time. Oh, yeah. And especially these days, uh, people are just glued to their phones or the TVs just tracking all the news that's going on. And I think that's also one of the reasons we're seeing even a more uptick in sleep problems um, during the COVID pandemic. You mentioned, or one of the things I really want to talk about, because people might not be aware, is CBTI, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. I'm going to wait till after the break, which is in just a few minutes, to have you talk about that. But short of CBTI, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, what, what do you advise people um, that they can do to, uh, to treat their occasional insomnia? Uh, again, another terrific question. One of the common missteps that people make uh, once they've had some sleep problems is they start going to bed earlier and earlier. And the idea behind that is, is they're thinking, well, if I'm not going to sleep well, at least I give myself enough opportunity to get enough sleep. In addition, it's also driven by the fact that they're just tired. Um, one of the most powerful forces that influence our ability to sleep is sleep is a, what we call a homeostatic drive. 
It's like our drive for food. So actually, one of the most effective things a person can do is when you're worried about not sleeping is actually push your bedtime an hour later than usual and take advantage of the fact that it's going to make you sleepier. So that, that's what I really emphasize with people when they come into the clinic. I like that idea. That may seems to make sense because if you go to if you try to go to bed earlier because you're having trouble sleeping, then you're staring at the ceiling. You know, you know, of your bedroom. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like it. You know, it it works to go try to go to bed earlier. But you're just so nervous that the next day you're going to be tired because you're, you didn't get enough sleep. I can see that sort of a, a a thing that goes around in people's heads. You know, I need to get more sleep, and now I'm nervous about it, and it doesn't work. I'd like that idea of staying up an hour later. Except in my case, I'd probably be on the screen then, and that wouldn't help. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Uh, if you're just joining us, listeners, we're talking to Dr. Mark Rosenblum. He is a, a sleep psychologist at Hennepin Healthcare. Um, if you want to learn more about our sleep program, you can always go to hennepinhealthcare.org, um, or you can call us at 612-873-6963. Uh, one other little bit of housekeeping. I have put a new post on myhealthymatters.org. I have reminisced about medical education because during the coronavirus pandemic, the medical students are kind of gone from the hallways of the hospital. So I highlight 12 medical students that I have worked with in the last year. And if you want to know what the future of medicine looks like, go to myhealthymatters.org and read about these 12 men and women that I have written about. They are your doctors of the future, and you're going to be uh, thrilled to meet them through uh, uh, a brief little uh, bio of them on myhealthymatters.org. I encourage you to go to that um, today, myhealthymatters.org. We will come back after the break with Dr. Mark Rosenblum. We're going to talk about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, and we're going to take your calls and texts. Denny? Absolutely. Here's the phone number and the text number, 651-989-9226. We'll head to this break. We'll have a look at that forecast, too. Coming up next on News Talk 830 WCCO. And we're back with more Healthy Matters, and here's your host once again, Dr. David Hilden. Thank you, Denny. Good morning, one and all. I hope you're having a good mid-July day. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful day, at least here in the upper Midwest. I know people do listen to the show all over the country and indeed the world, but here in Minnesota, it's a beautiful day. We're talking with Dr. Mark Rosenblum, a sleep psychologist at Hennepin Healthcare about insomnia. Before we go to some listener um, texts and calls and questions, Mark, tell us about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. What is it? And tell us all about it. So, So cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia really grew out of our initial efforts to address sleep behavior, meaning sleep hygiene. And over the years, a number of behavioral techniques have been developed that each in their own right has shown through evidence that they effectively help insomnia. And these techniques have essentially been pooled together to give us what we now call cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Probably the three that are used most often, one is called sleep restriction, in this technique, we will temporarily narrow the window of sleep and push a bedtime later and really focus on getting that sleep under control in the smaller window of sleep. And once it is under control, we'll gradually expand that window. A second technique is called stimulus control. And that's essentially an adult version of sleep training. Uh, for anybody who's ever had kids and are familiar with the whole process of trying to get the kids sleeping through the night, we now understand better how to make that happen. And we're actually able to adopt some of these ideas towards adults. And the third one is cognitive reframing. For the vast majority of people with repeated and chronic insomnia, 
they start developing a way of thinking about the insomnia during the nighttime in a way that actually fuels it. So, so a common thing I'll hear from my patients is they're up at like 2 or 3 in the morning, they look at the clock, and they get really, really frustrated. Well, in cognitive reframing, we, we learn how to tackle that frustration because that frustration actually fuels the insomnia. So, so those three are really the three main techniques that you'll see people utilize. How do they get in to see a guy like you? Um, because uh, the reason I ask that is that a lot of people just want to, uh, you know, want to take a, a medication. They want to take a pill, and I tell lots of people that half the things we prescribe for sleep aren't even really indicated for sleep, and there's no evidence that they work. But the thing that does have evidence that it works is cognitive behavioral therapy. So how do they get in to see you? Do they go to their regular doctor first, or do they just call you up, or, or how does that work? Well, there, there are two pathways. One is they can call the sleep clinic directly and request an appointment with myself or one of the sleep physicians. And, and the, the good thing about if they meet with a sleep physician first is a sleep physician will make sure that if there are any medically-based sleep conditions, they'll be able to identify that in the process. And once that is addressed or, or ruled out, they'll then make sure to refer the person to me. Other people, just you just let your primary care physician provider know and oftentimes, they're able to find out a pathway to refer someone to a sleep psychologist. I will tell people I would recommend it. I have, um, uh, I'm not an expert, but I have um, uh, come to believe that CBTI is, the, is uh, a great uh, treatment modality for many people with insomnia. So I recommend you go to HennepinHealthCare.org and look up the sleep center or call us up at 612 873 6963 612-873-6963 and ask for the sleep center. Denny Long, should we go yes. to some text messages? Yes, let's do that. Uh, well, uh, well, we're uh, talking about it. In fact, uh, we've seen this uh, question before, Dr. Hilden, uh, and this is the first one uh, uh, this morning. Uh, tester says this, why do my hands go numb while sleeping? Mark? <laughs> why, why do my hands go numb while sleeping? And, and, and that's a question I've heard before, or you'll hear questions about their legs feeling numb or getting uncomfortable. There, there is a condition called restless leg syndrome. And what, what that represents is someone who has either kind of a twitchy arms or legs or sometimes some discomfort here. Now, that said, by, by just seeing that symptom, that's not enough to say that's absolutely what's going on. But that is a condition where we will see that kind of presentation. All right, here's, Any other, uh, here's another uh, one. Uh, well, go ahead, doctor. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that um, you know, that isn't a dangerous condition unless, it strikes me at least, unless it's every night and keeping you awake and can lead to insomnia. Then, then I think that numbness can become something that you might want to take a look at and see if it is some type of neurologic condition. But in general, isn't that a weird feeling when it's your, your hand that falls asleep, but uh, you can't? All right, back to the text line. 651-989-9226. Here's one. How does generalized uh, anxiety affect my sleep? This is a CPAP user experiencing higher wake-up data. So, so well, first of all, so generalized anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder is someone who has chronic anxiety. And we know as, as our anxiety levels are elevated, anxiety is an impediment to sleep. So anything that, that fuels anxiety, be it about being on a CPAP or someone who just has chronic anxiety, insomnia, anxiety, absolutely can have an impact on sleep. So 
So when we see something like that, one of the one of the first steps is really trying to pinpoint the source of the anxiety. And if it's a chronic anxiety, we would then talk about treatments, either a cognitive behavioral therapy or a or a pharmacological treatment. And if it's about the CPAP, for some people, it's it could be a challenge acclimating to wearing it during the night. So there are some CBT interventions for that as well, where we try to teach people to not be as reactive to the CPAP. But and and, and just just to add to that, it's understandable why it can be really a challenge for some people to get 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 used to it because you're you're essentially sleeping with a mask on your face, which is a foreign thing while trying to sleep. That said, once people do get used to it, people oftentimes feel just wonderfully better after they get used to it. 651-989-9226 is our phone number. It's also our text number. We have a bunch of those. Uh, let's see how many we can get to before we have to break here. Uh, here's another one, doctors. Exhausted, texter says, I fall asleep, really sound for about two hours. Then I'm up all night, tossing and turning and exhausted again for the day. Help me. Yeah, it, seriously, help us, Mark. So you, you're exhausted <laughs> and you fall right to sleep and then it's 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. and you're sitting there staring at your digital clock for the next two hours and then you're exhausted again. What is that condition and what, what advice do you have for that that person? I'm sure a lot of people share that question. Yeah, and, and that's really a common presentation for middle-of-the-night insomnia. And so in, in that situation, what's probably happening is after two hours, that person is completing a full sleep cycle because that's how long it takes an adult to, to have one. And they're waking up as they're transitioning into a very light stage of sleep, and then they're up. And when the real issue is is when they wake up, is how they react to it. So, so if you can imagine, anytime you've had anything go on and on that's been unpleasant, when it happens again, the normal reaction is just going to go, oh, gosh, here we go again. I can't believe it. And they look at the clock. They get further and further aggravated. These are all characteristics of the chronic insomnia. There's this frustration and anxiety. So, so as, as just like a first suggestion to this caller or, or person who sent the message is stop looking at the clock during the night. Uh, that is, for a lot of people with chronic insomnia, a significant trigger. The second thing, and this is the cognitive part, is what I tell people is obviously we want to be able to sleep. But, but once it starts happening regularly, we, we are at risk to catastrophize the impact of a bad night of sleep. I mean, if you even think about your, your, your self, Dr. Hilton, today, you're coming off a short night of sleep, but here you're at work doing a tremendous job. Our ability to function on the short term actually is better than our fears tell us. So I will encourage a person, try to tell yourself, you'll be okay even if you don't get to sleep that night and even if you are exhausted the next day. And the goal of that is to really try to drive down that anxiety. And the last piece is you really don't want to linger in bed. So if you're sitting there for about 20 minutes or so, Get up, sit somewhere by the bed, stay off the computer, of course. And if you can, just try to sit there and either read a, a, a relaxing book or daydream about something that you've done in the past that you really enjoy. And then really wait till you're sleeping again before you go back to bed. So, so those are the first things that come to mind during that example. I love that, um, those, those um, bits of advice. Um, this is a question that I have um, heard from some of my own patients, and since you have an expertise also in substance use disorders, um, Dr. Rosenblum, tell us about the, the relationship between, let's just stick with alcohol and sleep. Is it, you know, people often crash after they've had, had been drinking alcohol in the evening, and then they don't sleep well at night. Could you comment about that intersection? Uh, absolutely. So, so first of all, what, 
what drives people to do that at times is they're just drinking. Other times, it, they're intentionally using alcohol as a sleep aid. In fact, alcohol is one of the most common sleep aids that people utilize. The problem is, as you describe how they feel in the morning, th- there's a cost. And so while it may help at times falling asleep, alcohol is a depressant. It weakens our respiratory system. So while a person may fall asleep quicker, they're at risk for waking up more during the middle night and having a lower quality of sleep. And, and, and the last risk, and this is something that, that's sort of like emerging in our research and we're seeing, if a person has regular insomnia and that alcohol is working as a sleep aid, they're going to keep using it and they're going to use it more and more. And so there is a risk for, for actually fueling a substance use disorder. And, and, and so that's one of the areas where, where we really try to target, where we try to bring these two areas together is, you know, how can we get that under control without having to turn to alcohol? Yeah, that seems to be like a, a something that a lot of people um, uh, turn to um, is just to try to get to sleep. And, they, and, and I can imagine that could turn into larger problems. Denny, uh, I think yeah. we might have time before the break for one more text yeah. question. Yeah, this one's fitting for the topic. Uh, here's what the texter has to say. I have chronic insomnia. This person is a 70-year-old healthy female, happy marriage, no depression, usually get three to four hours a night, occasionally sleep seven to eight, but after a poor night's sleep, after I wake up, I forget about the poor sleep, and I'm very active and happy during the day. Do some, the question is, do some people just need fewer hours of sleep? So, so we, do see people, we do see people sleep less, but... That being said, one of the common myths out there is that as people age, they need less sleep. And in reality, as people age, they just have more sleep issues. There's more chronic health conditions, more medications. So the fact that the person can function well actually is normal in that we all actually can do okay temporarily on three, four hours of sleep. But in the long run, it it can increase risk for other health conditions. So so that is something that would probably suggest to the person to at least go into someone like myself or their primary care physician and just try to get a sense of how often this is happening and how this might be impacting other areas of their health. Mark, um, we're going to take a break, but um, do you think in general, are we sleep deprived as a community? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, and it seems like it, it has correlated with just the more and more technology and electronics that's out there. But yeah, we, we really are. And, and especially since this COVID-19 spike, there's already research coming out there that um, people as a whole are sleeping less, uh, especially healthcare providers. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's getting worse. Yeah, I can attest to that. <laughs> you know, the last few months. I think it's time for a break, and then we will return um, after that. Then. Very good. Uh, let me invite our listeners to join in on the conversation. If it's easier for a text or you can call, the uh, same number applies, 651-989-9226. Sleep disorder, that's what we're talking about this morning on Healthy Matters, here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. We're talking about sleep disorders uh, this morning, taking your phone calls and text messages for Dr. David Hilden and his guest. And uh, we have a bunch of text doctors, so maybe we should... Uh, get to them. Here's one came in a couple of minutes ago. Uh, This one says this, I have Parkinson's. Along with that came REM sleep disorder. Could you please comment on that, please? Uh, Well, okay, that's that's actually a a terrific question as well. 
Run behavioral sleep disorder is a condition where a person is actively acting out their dream. And we see a high overlap between that and Parkinson's disease. Now, now this is something that um, not that cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia couldn't be helpful for, but, but that's an example of when we see a medical-based condition contributing to insomnia. So that is something that you're going to find is probably more appropriately treated by a sleep physician using different medications. But yeah, it's a, it's a really common common two things that go together um, quite regularly, Parkinson's and run behavioral sleep disorder. In fact, gives me a per- perfect segue, Mark, if you would, to go to a sleep center that has a multidisciplinary team such as yours. You have psychologists, you have physicians, you, have, you can do sleep studies, you can do CBT, you can do medications all at the same sleep center. Yeah, and, and, and just to even add to that, um, our team, fortunately, it's not just physicians. We have neurologists, psychiatrists, pulmonologists. Um, we have a sleep dentist. And one of the benefits of that is um, we actually regularly communicate with each other about cases. We consult with each other. And sometimes, let's say I'll have a patient that I'm, I'm trying to you know, help out and I'm scratching my head. Well, gosh, I, I can sit down with our neurologist or our, our pulmonologist and say, like, what do you think? And one of, one of the benefits of that, it really helps us, I think, do a pretty decent job in, in identifying what's underlying the sleep problem. Right, Sounds good. Have, uh, uh, Denny, back to the text line. Yeah, we, we've got to see how many we can field here before the show is over. Here's one. 60-year-old male, very healthy except for sleep have used a CPAP for over 10 years, started having problems a couple years ago. Sleep study indicated restless leg, now take 900 milligrams of gabapentin, but still not great. Four to five hours a night and difficulty getting to sleep. You think there's anything more to be done? Yeah, the gabapentin is a medication we use for a variety of things. Well, any thoughts on that with restless legs and somebody on a good-sized dose of a medication already, Mark? Well, yeah, and... and Again, these these are these questions illustrate just how complex some of these situations can become. Well, the first question I would have for this person is, how much are the difficulties falling asleep related to the restless leg? It's not uncommon that a person will have more than one sleep disorder. Um, my experience with restless legs, where we really see it probably hit people the worst, is during the middle of the night. So when I hear someone having trouble falling asleep, that kind of makes me scratch my head and uh, possibly consider maybe there is more of a behavioral insomnia that's part of it as well. So that is a person that, that getting into a healthcare system that has a sleep psychologist, I think would be a good fit. It is. Um, we only have a couple minutes left of the show. And so thank you to everybody who has sent in your texts and your questions. I want to thank you, Mark, um, uh, for being on the show with us. Um, sleep is such a big topic, and your expertise is much appreciated. For listeners, if you want to get into the Minnesota Sleep um, Center, uh, Regional Sleep Disorder Center is the name. It's at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis. Go to hennepinhealthcare.org, um, and you can look up the sleep center there, hennepinhealthcare.org. I also want to uh, remind people the blog site that I do in conjunction with the show is up and running. I'm doing a doctor's diary from a pandemic. There's a new post about medical students at myhealthymatters.org, myhealthymatters.org. And lastly, I don't keep track of this stuff real carefully, but we are in the middle of our 12th year of airing, my, uh, airing Healthy Matters and this today is our 600th show. So just noting that we are at 600 shows, and that is because of you, our listeners. Thank you so much. And I hope everybody has a great rest of your day. Uh, 
did I hear you correctly saying 12 years? It's been 12 years, Denny. I mean, we started the show and they grabbed me out of the clinic. And they, you know, said, well, anybody want to do a radio show? And I said, well, my couple of my friends, my friend Ann and my friend Heidi said, why don't you do it? You never shut up. So you should do that. (laughs) And that was in late 2008. And we have, Denny, you and I have been doing this since the first Sunday in January of 2009. And we are in the middle of our 12th season, 11 and a half years. And if my calculations are correct, this is the 600th show. So Mark... Thank you for being here with us and for making it a great show. And uh, we'll get you back on the show, and hopefully we'll be able to do it in person in the studio um, sometime in the future. Thank you so much, and I really look forward to it. All right, very good. Thank Appreciate you both uh, for you being with us. And next week on the show, and reminding our listeners, is going to be an open line show, your general health questions for Dr. Hilden coming along next Sunday. Right now in the Twin Cities, 67 degrees. Expect a lot of rain on Tuesday. You stay tuned to WCCO. Nice day today. High near 84 degrees. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.